0: Welcome to the Winner Circle with Derek Pang and Bianca Leger. On this podcast, we'll introduce you to real world heroes who have stepped outside their safe, known worlds to pursue and live their win, their best lives. This is a choice we all get to make. The intention behind these conversations is to uplift, inspire, and empower you to move forward with greater faith, trust, and belief in yourself on your hero's journey ahead. Let's go, hero. All right, welcome everyone to another episode. On today's episode, alongside co-host Bianca Leger, we interview a high-performance tennis coach who helps athletes maximize their potential both on and off the tennis court. He's currently working as a graduate assistant coach at the University of Texas at Dallas. He's a former Marine who served in the Marine Corps from December 98th to October 2007. And a former physical education teacher He's also a level three Lifted coach and founder of Athletes First, where he's dedicated to developing athletes by teaching players, parents, and coaches how to consistently move forward. Welcome to the Winner circle, Clint Lockoff.
1: Dude, thank you, Derek. That was such an amazing, amazing intro.
0: Well, it's amazing all the things that you're doing. Um, and we're going to get all into that story. But before we do, um, I'm just going to introduce the goal of this conversation and is really to uplift, inspire, and empower anyone listening along. And as such, all the questions, they're pretty positive. And this first one gets us started on that foot. And that is, right here, right now, what do you love about your world? Not the external world, but your world, Clint Lockoff, in this moment, in this present time?
1: Um, the number one thing that, that I love right now is that I'm still learning um I'm back in school and at the same time I'm working with athletes from elementary school up through national level college players and getting to share um what I've learned with them
0: beautiful and in all these hats you wear what would you say is your mission your overriding mission and all that you do
1: (laughs) um to create the biggest impact possible. And uh, that was introduced to me years ago um, when I was on a discovery call for the Strong Coach. Um, And I made a comment that I'm not gonna try to create an impact because the way I I show up, I will connect, there will be an impact. So I I don't need to try. And uh, Danny, Danny Rios um, goes, hey brother, that's a limiting belief what would happen if you tried? And so uh, it took the breath took the breath for me and uh, I, I've embraced that as my mission since then.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I have curiosity about this. I, I just wanna dive into it a little bit more. I also feel like it resonates with me to not try so hard. Do you feel like there's a difference in your interaction with people, since you kind of changed your mind frame about that,
1: Oh, oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. The the change came from being passive in the interactions to being active,
2: yeah.
1: and uh, okay. and it, it really strengthened uh, my position, especially in areas when when I'm interacting with athletes or parents, um, in that I know what my mission was. Where before, I was trying to read the I was trying to, to sell something. I was trying to, to connect. And all of that became secondary to the idea of uh, creating an impact by giving what I know.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. So how are you creating that impact? How are you creating the biggest impact possible? What does that look like in the current day?
1: Um, the goal, the goal with Athlete First is to create generational change in both directions and so what i what i mean by that is um, for athletes children their next generation to be better because of the language the mindset the the goal setting um, pieces um, the flip side to that is for their parents and their grandparents to be influenced by what they're going through so, so creating generational change in both directions is, uh, is the goal.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're currently doing that um, in your graduate assistant um, tennis coach role at the University of Texas of Dallas, and then also with Athletes First, what you what you founded. Um, let's get into the origin story of Athlete First. Why did you create? Why did you create this program?
1: Um, one of my frustrations as a, as a coach was how other coaches felt ownership of their players, their athletes. And I felt the same way as a, as a young coach, that it's my athlete. Um, another frustration was, was parents seeing a lot of value in themselves because of what their kid was doing. And what athlete first is, is it's a translation. And so it's not about you. It's about the athlete. Um, and the other piece to that for for athletes is the things that make you a good athlete the hard work the dedication the determination take those and spread them to other areas of your life and so and so the, the name has a double meaning and and both to athletes it's one message and to parents and coaches it's another
0: so What got you, what got you into this? Like, let's track back the origin story of you beginning to work with athletes in the first place. Where, what's the origin, the story of you becoming a coach? (laughs) Uh,
1: So when I was in the Marine Corps, uh, I was on deployment here on September 11th. Um, I went back and was part of the invasion of Iraq in 2003. And then my final deployment was in 2005. And I knew I was getting out of the Marine Corps, and it was like, what are you going to do? And I knew I didn't want to sit in an office, and I knew I wanted to wear comfortable shoes. And from there, coaching um, was pretty much the only thing I was qualified to do. Um, That first summer I got out, I did everything from um, tiny tots, four-year-olds, to High-level juniors to um, adult leagues and drills, and I noticed in that first few months that I have an incredible patience for, for kids, and I didn't for adults. And, and so, <laughs> and so uh, the natural progression was to was to uh, go deeper go deeper in that in that um, in that coaching of of uh, kids. And the mindset piece actually came from going down the, the physical world, um, my introduction to Onnit um, and the hearing of their principles. And um, one of them, one of the comments that, that John Wolfe made was good information doesn't displace good information. And when I heard that, it was a huge sigh of relief because I knew a lot of good stuff. Both from the Marine Corps, from previous coaches, and I felt that there was a conflict, a conflict in what I was trying to teach, and that one comment created alignment and um, a foundation. Uh, so from there, I've been coaching in, in every coaching tennis in every realm possible. So from very high-end private clubs to city facilities and. Downtown Dallas, to high school, and now and now college.
0: Mm-hmm. And you grew up playing tennis. Like, when did tennis come into your life?
1: Uh, so I had the same high school tennis coach that both my parents had, and so um, my parents actually moved um, while I was in junior high, so that when I chose tennis in, in ninth grade as my sport, um, I had I had their coach um, and me and my wife were, were on the same tennis team. Our, our, our first date was um, prom night because neither of us were going. And so my, my absolute favorite picture was taken by my father-in-law. And it was me, my wife, her mom, my parents. And then Coach just happened to be sitting on the next table, saw the picture and basically photobombed <laughs> that, that <laughs> picture. <laughs> um, and so... From ninth grade until um, my freshman year of college, it was 100% tennis. Uh, I got frustrated uh, in, in college. Uh, I didn't understand what recruiting was. I was on the, the bottom of the, the ladder, and the coach kept talking about the four guys he was recruiting to come in, and three we were graduating. And my frustration was oh, I'm going to be a further step down after busting my ass for the last year. Um, So I ended up quitting tennis and it wasn't until deciding to coach to wear comfortable shoes that I came back to it. Um, So since then, um, like I, I love the sport. Uh, When I committed, when I came back from that deployment, I still had two years in the Marine Corps. And during that time, I played a tournament every weekend. And so I felt self-conscious about my playing experience be a coach, so I had to be a better player. And so I played every weekend. Um, when I got out, went to school, um, I actually played for the coach that I'm coaching under now um, as, as his graduate assistant. So I, I played for him. Um, that's a unique experience, being in your 30s and playing against 18 and 19-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've been, been all in on, Coaching since then. Mm-hmm.
0: So, what do you? What about tennis? Do you love? Like, why did? Why? Why this passion for tennis?
1: Um, the biggest reason is that there are no real excuses. You can't blame it on the officials. You can't blame it on coaches. You can't blame it on the weather, sun, because it's the same for both. Um, there's mm-hmm. no one calling plays. It is you against another person, or it's you and a partner against another pair, and when it comes down to it, it's the best you've got today against the best they've got today. Um, A lot of athletes can use, you know, coaches' favoritism as an excuse, or uh, the calls, or running out of time. There's, There's so many things about tennis that just eliminates those excuses. Mm-hmm.
0: And how have you translated that knowing that you've learned on the tennis courts to your life?
1: Um, I wouldn't say it's been a translation. It's, it's become who, who I am. And so I'm, um, I'm very much a action taker, a, like if there's a problem then let's, let's solve it. Um, and I'm not sure which came first. Was it tennis or was it that mindset? But those two things are are very, very connected.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. they're corresponding. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, what drew you to serve for the Marines to join the Marine Corps?
1: Um, I always, I always knew that I wanted to to serve. Um, when I was in in high school, I applied to go to the the service academies to be an officer. Um, Ended up transferring to Texas A&M. They have a a big um, ROTC program. And I found out about quality spreading. And what quality spreading is, is where they take the top third of the top third, they get their first choice of jobs. The top third of the middle third, they get their first choice. The bottom third, the top third of the bottom third gets their choice. And then they repeat. And where I saw myself was not the top third of the top third, but one of the strongest people and and, um, the idea of not having the first choice. I was really frustrating. at the same time. I found out about that. Um, I met a guy who was running uh, a SWAT school and they needed, they needed college students to be the bad guys so that the police officers going through the SWAT school could, could handcuff and throw around people. And so I volunteered for this. And uh, as a thank you, the guy said, Hey, whatever classes, um, that we're going through, you can come out here and be part of whatever fits in your schedule. And so I skipped three weeks of college and just um, went out there and and took part in everything I could. Um, Got to know the instructor and he was talking about uh, the Marine Corps, jumping out of plane, scuba diving, and um, he made the the School of Infantry sound sexy. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Um, And so it was a, uh, I'm tired of school, wanting some excitement, and um, the stars aligned, and uh, I met that guy at the right time, and the School of Infantry is not sexy, so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, during, uh, once I got into the Marine Corps, and it was at the, after boot camp, I tried out for, for reconnaissance, um, and that's, um, one of the elite units, one of the elite jobs in the Marine Corps, and um, got to do the jumping out of planes and scuba diving and um, all of that stuff. And it's so, I'm so thankful for for those experiences.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm sure fear would have arisen for you many times throughout your time in the Marines, whether that be at camp or in deployment. Um, what have you learned about fear? From your time in the military and then that, that you currently keep on your tool belt as you go about your mission today
1: uh, so after after I had um, passed the screening and, and was waiting to go to um, go to the course um, we were in this like holding pattern at uh, on a Navy base and so no job low rank we did all the crap jobs on the base but on Fridays um we would get some sort of training some something cool um and my first friday there we did rappelling off of a tower but it was simulating going through the floor of a helicopter and so and so it was a three three foot by three foot hole that you'd have to jump down and and rappel through and so as i'm standing up standing over the hole my, my knees start shaking and the uh The old master sergeant who had been in forever that was running the training, like grabs me by the collar, pulls me up to, and we're like nose to nose. And Lance Corporal, are you afraid? Are you afraid of heights? And uh, my response was, no, master sergeant. And he smiles and goes, me too. We don't got to like what we do. We just got to do it. And like that, that, Interaction stayed with me the the whole time. Um, I didn't realize how much it had stayed with me until this past um, November. I, I spoke in a at a high school and was thinking about my stories and what the message was going to be when I when I spoke for Veterans Day from the high school. And it was um, that story came front of mind and, and the idea of making decisions that you're going to be proud of later on. Like time's gonna pass, the moment's gonna pass, and you're gonna all you're gonna be left with is the memory, the story. What choice are you gonna make to be that you're gonna be proud of in the future? And so um, that's the the biggest thing I've learned about fear is, is so much of it's up here, and and whatever we're going through will pass, um, and to and to
0: own it.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay
0: words of wisdom um another area of learning i'm sure during your time in the marine corps was about team and working as a team and the importance of that and the lessons learned from that what have you learned about being a good teammate from your time in the marine corps and how did you translate that to being um leading a tennis team or being on a tennis team
1: uh- True teams are special. And so what I mean by by true teams is it's where everyone involved is putting in more than they're taking. Um, It's the idea that that our success comes together, that everyone's going to need a hand at at some point. Um, But you've already given so much to the cause, to the group, to, to the people you're with. That it's easy to accept support um, and so it was really tough to find that uh, outside of the brain and so it felt like everyone's taking care of themselves even to the detriment of the, the people around them and once I started feeling that way that's all I started noticing um, and so one of the one of the things that I've, I've recognized since then is whatever we say, whatever we think, whatever we start noticing, we're going to notice more of those things. And if we're frustrated and, and don't have a way of taking control of our frustration, then it, it's going to grow. Um, yes. And there's always something to be grateful for. There's always, there's always someone there um, whether you notice it or not. And, the thing that I've, I've noticed most about being on a team is looking for those interactions, looking for, looking for the, the kids or the teammates or whoever's around that's, that's giving more than they're taking and, and uh, acknowledging that having other people acknowledge that, whether it's in a group setting or one on one, um, that acknowledgement of, we're in this together, we're working for a, a, a greater cause um, is the foundation to strong cultures.
2: Beautiful, yeah, thank you for that. That's such an amazing reminder because the, the coach, you're everybody's got their eyes, you're the model and you're also directing the lens of the team. So to orient it that way, that's a massive impact. Massive. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. you shared you shared the foundations of um, a good team, of a strong team. What are your personal foundations for a strong human? What are the foundational self care elements that you use to attend to your physical, your mental, your emotional, and your spiritual? They could take one at a time, even though that they all um, play they have the ability to play in all four dimensions.
1: Um, So not real sure on the elements that make a a good human, but but my personal philosophy is uh, do good, move forward and be free. And when those things are in alignment, it allows me to create the biggest impact possible. When those things are out of alignment, um, I recognize that frustration grows in me. I recognize um, like either anger or headaches or um, some sort of physical manifestation when I, when I start living out of alignment. Um, and I've had those beliefs, those philosophies for years, but it's only been probably the last year or two. That, that I've recognized when I'm out of alignment that those manifestations happen um, to take to to answer the other question um, how did you word it to physically take care of
0: yeah what are your physical self-care tools what are your mental self-care tools your emotional self-care tools and your spiritual self-care tools that help you optimize your being
1: <laughs> um, my physical, is also tied to the, the spiritual. Um, for me, like moving the steel mace, um, has been incredible connection between, between the physical and the, the spiritual, um, spiritual, mental. It's, it's one of the ways where I can zone out and just move and, and feel whatever, um, whatever I'm feeling. Um, the thing I love about the mace is the, the freedom that it provides. Freedom in movement. The 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 whatever rules there are, those rules are also meant to be broken. Um, for the the mental. Uh, this was something I actually struggled like while I was a school teacher, was the idea that unplugging from everything, and still trying to read something, trying to be productive. And one of my coaches um, was like, no, nah, if you wanna veg out, veg out. If you wanna watch an episode of The Mandalorian, watch the episode of The Mandalorian. And it was accepting the 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 joys that come from a series, or the joys that, that I felt playing you know, uh, a video game for a little while. And mm-hmm. Uh, when I started doing that, I also noticed when I listened to the podcast, I was absorbing um, that when I had that—that that, uh, what I would label before as guilty pleasures—it um, allowed me to to um, get more out of other interactions. Mm.
2: I love that. I, I feel like uh, uh, giving ourselves permission to receive those pleasures that we use to judge about ourselves, it, it does have that impact. It's true with the other people because then we're in reception mode a little more. So it's like, it's interesting to, to recognize that.
1: <laughs> and and, and to, to recognize it, to accept it. But then on a Saturday yeah. morning, I ended up going four hours. And then at the end of that four hours my initial reaction was like, ah, wait, no, it's done. I'm, I'm here, like, let's go on with, with everything else. And so being able to accept yeah. it, that that time was more than I intended, but.
2: Uh-huh. goes back to the acceptance of this, this human experience and the self-compassion also, we get to be so, we tend to be so hard on ourselves, but yeah, we, we look for balance, I guess, somewhere in there.
0: <laughs> Definitely. so the steel mace has helped you connect with freedom and before we get into the steel mace let's discuss freedom a little bit more i think that's particularly important as you fought for the freedom of your country um what does freedom mean to you clint um
1: freedom is simply the ability to to pursue what makes you happy and Mm -hmm. And as long as my, my pursuit of my happiness, uh, doesn't infringe on your pursuit of your happiness, there's, there's no issue.
0: Mm-hmm. From your experience with those you coach, what gets in the way of people's freedom?
1: <laughs> um, a lot, a lot of things. So some of it is simply, um, a misalignment between an athlete's like expectations and what their their parents' expectations are, their coaches' expectations. Um, some of it is, is fear of the future, you know, fear of uh, not being successful based on someone else's definition of success. Um, it comes down to to that, that misalignment and expectations and then the fear, the fear of the unknown, the fear of failure, fear of, of judgment.
0: How do we overcome that?
1: Um, recognizing that I have zero control of how you see me. I have zero control over how my, my parents see me, how they judge me. And that if I'm, if I'm, living in alignment with my beliefs, with what I know is good, with what I'm striving for, and I'm proud of, of myself, then the people that care about me, that love me, will be proud of me also. But if it's the other way around where I'm trying to do stuff for them, then, then I'm giving away the power um, as far as how I feel. I'm giving away my freedom on someone else's expectation and when you flip that Mm -hmm. to athletes um i've had that exact conversation where i talk about like i I want you to like me but if you don't it's not going to change how i feel about me and then sometimes there's a little switch with that just that little that little statement there Mm -hmm. Did, did that answer your question Derek?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, so we kind of talked about freedom. I don't want to talk about moving forward. So we've mm-hmm. talked about what pre- prevents people from being free. What prevents people from moving forward? And what exactly is moving forward?
1: So there's, there's two ideas with moving forward. The first is it's a translation from being stuck. I don't want to be stuck. And so moving forward is the affirmation to being stuck. A lot of teenage athletes will look around and say, I'm doing more work than so and so. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm better than them, but I don't have their results. Um, Their beliefs aren't matching what's happening and it creates that feeling of stuckness. Um, The other piece of moving forward, moving forward takes two components. One is knowing where you are and knowing where you want to go. And moving in that direction and so mm-hmm. and so if you don't know where you are it doesn't matter which direction you're going because you don't know if that's forward or not
0: mm-hmm. how can we find and how do you help your your clients and those that you coach know where they are
1: um through questions so so if you want to become a professional athlete, if you want to become a, uh, uh, get a college scholarship, if you want, you know, to be uh academic all-American, where are you now? Like, um, are you, are you leading the pack, um, the people that are going in that direction? Mm-hmm. Are you, are you putting in the work to improve and move in that direction? Um, and it, it's, it's a slippery slope when you start having that conversation because there is a little bit of that comparison fuel. But if you take a step back and can accurately say, this is where I'm strong. These are the areas I need to work on. Like, then we start focusing on those areas, creating a plan to attack that um, while maintaining strengths or making the strength stronger.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what happens when the results that one seeks is not attained? Um- how, what do we do there? Um, what does that look like? So an example of this is that high school student that wants to make the tennis team and they don't make it or that, um, college or that high school tennis player wanting to go to college and that doesn't happen or that college player that wants to turn pro and that doesn't happen. Let's talk about, um, those barriers that we encounter in the tennis in the tennis world applicable to all.
1: Um, One of the really cool things about tennis is that journey isn't over until you say it's over. Now, with with other sports, it is. With other sports, if you're if you don't meet the the recruitment timeline, you don't meet the the getting drafted timeline. Uh, you, you don't have skins on the wall for free agency. Then then you don't have a say when that's over. But tennis is is a sport that. It's an individual sport. And even if you don't make it to college, even if you don't get that scholarship, you can still put in the work. You can still play. You can still compete at a higher level. And so one of the unique things is that journey is not over until you say it's over. But if we take it and apply it to other sports, there's more to sports than what you, you win. There's more to sports than what you get out of. And when that, when that shift gets made, when it becomes about the process, when it becomes about uh, the person you're becoming, when it becomes, when you take the the hard work and toughness and dedication that that you put into training in your sport and start applying it to other areas, then the -hmm. results in your sport become easier. Then if you make it, it becomes icing on the cake. And if you don't, you still have the skills and you're grateful for the experience.
0: Mm-hmm. And so... So... No, go well, ahead.
1: Well, for some... So...
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: For some, for some athletes, for some parents, it's really hard to wrap their head around the idea of developing dedication and toughness and not accomplishing what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for some... But for some athletes... When they start embracing that, then then it makes the competition easier.
0: Mm-hmm. And when is it the time to pull the plug? To pull the plug on our endeavor, whether that could be a tennis um, player uh, in college or professional tennis, or on the various paths that we choose. Like you pl- pulled the plug on your um, your Marine Corps time. There was an end. There's an end to your teaching in high school. There was an end. Um, how, what have you learned about transitioning from one phase to another? And When is the right time? I'm sure that comes up with your players often.
1: Um, I love this question, and I'm so glad you asked it. And I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> um, I've transitioned at the wrong time more than I have the right time. Um, so out of the Marine Corps, I wasn't happy with, with how I transitioned. Um, I felt like I was quitting. I felt like I was letting down the people I was serving, uh, serving with, um, um, after, after the Marine Corps, uh, there's, I've had a, a couple of incredible jobs where I felt stuck and the only option that I saw was to move on as opposed to take a step back and look at my situation or, or take a hard look at me. Um, this last transition is uh, from from high school into college coaching. Um, I'm incredibly proud of. Um, and it's it's because I went from somewhere that was secure and safe and stable into an unknown. And in the direction of, of the idea of creating a bigger impact. And so to, to answer your question about the transition piece, when is it the right time to quit? It comes down to, are you enjoying, are you enjoying what you're doing? If you are, then, then keep going. Uh, are you moving in the direction that, that you want to go? Then mm-hmm. if you are, keep going it shouldn't come down to to needing a paycheck. It shouldn't come down to needing a title. What it should come down to is, are you on the path that you're going to be proud of five years from now? And my frustration um, that I had an education was when I took a step back and looked, I didn't think 2022 could be any better than 2019. Like best case scenario, this past school year could be what 2019 was. And that felt like a huge step back. And so for me, how could I step forward? And it's, it's, um, it's not even college coaching. College coaching has been a, uh, uh, an extra. It was finding the degree program that's allowing me to build this, this business.
0: Mm -hmm. and so often people choose not to move forward in in that direction because of fear because of that thing that you said the unknown the fear of the unknown how how do you advise your players that you coach on facing fear and stepping into their unknown
1: Um, Um, once it's acknowledged that it's fear then the question is what's the opposite of fear and so I'll, I'll pose that to, to you guys. What is, what is the opposite of fear?
0: What comes to my mind is thriving. Bianca?
2: Thriving. Oh. Uh, what comes to my mind is love.
1: <laughs> so, so when fear is what's holding you back, the question would be now, Derek, how do you step towards thriving? Bianca, how do you step towards love? And then from there it becomes your answers. And and sometimes it might be staying where you are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Wow. So hmm.
0: you've met many different mentors and allies along that way that have helped contribute to this ideology that you bring to the table and this conversation and your being. Let's take a moment to acknowledge some of the key mentors and helpers that have helped you along your path. Who were they and what were the key takeaways you learned from them that you've incorporated into your being? Um,
1: The first I have to, to, to mention is like coach Hopkins. Like uh, my high school coach, my wife's high school coach, my parents, my parents coach, um, the first match um, that I coached as a, as a high school coach, he came out and watched. And one of the players that I'd been working with prior to taking the job comes up to, to me while I was talking to him and goes, hey, coach, and I stop and look at him. And he waited a second, smiled and goes, she's not talking to me. And so the idea of uh, like having that lasting impact the lasting impact that he had on me that he had on my parents uh, and I don't even know how he did it like I can think back and guess but that's that's the the biggest takeaway for me from coach Hopkins is that that lasting that lasting impact. Uh, another one of my my mentors and she's the She's the one that, um, introduced the idea of the personal philosophy is, uh, Dr. Ann Pankhurst, And, uh, she was incredibly real. And what I mean by that, if something was messed up, she would drop the F bomb and tell you you're messed up. If something mm-hmm. was, was great. Um, she would tell you you're great. And at one of the, the trainings that I was at with her, um, she asked me to get another coach who was pretending to be a, a student to do something specific by only asking questions serve out wide with a slice serve get her to do that only ask questions and so like i started and two questions in she stops me and calls everyone else over like so 20 coaches from across the country come in like and they're all watching me coach her asking questions so like uh, I I tightened up like pucker factor like a thousand (laughs) she walked over she goes it's all right you got this asked her a question which was gonna be my next question it was literally I knew like without a doubt and then she looked at me smiled and stepped away And so it's, it's that idea of creating a personal philosophy, that idea of asking good questions to create, to lead to a response. Um, My, my current coach mentor, um, Mark England, um, like the dude is amazing and it's, it's changing, it's changing coaching, uh, through language, through story work, and through, through teaching it, uh, I've leveled up more in the last two years as a, as a coach, um, because of, of that work. Um, and then, um, the Ana guys, Shane Hines and, and John Wolf, um, like they are, they are on such another level, um, with, with their knowledge and the way they show up. Um, I, Can that be achieved in this lifetime? I've I've asked myself after my interactions with with both those guys on, on multiple occasions.
0: So if I ask this. Go ahead. Go ahead.
2: Well, I was curious about what it was about these people that seems like they are such on a different level. what what are the qualities that really stood out about them?
1: Um, all of them are present. Mm. Like so so, um, as I as as you ask that question, um, like interactions like flash through my mind, and and all of them are so in the moment with who they're interacting with. Mm. Um, and it's, it's almost, it's almost like they know what's coming next and where does that knowing come from? Like, um, maybe it's the reps, maybe it's the uh, higher, coming from a higher place. Um, maybe it's reading people, the situation, but there's such calm confidence in that knowing.
0: Thank you. And what I was gonna say, I was gonna say if I asked this question to those you coached, um, how would you, will you be remembered? What is the legacy that you're leaving with those you coach? How do you want them to speak of you? What are the things that you're trying to teach them?
1: The number one thing I, I hope my my students learn is that they are in control of so much more than they know, from from you know, their actions to interactions to thoughts and beliefs, and how will that leave me being remembered? Um, I hope it's the same way that I've, I've talked about my mentors, my coaches, that 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 presence that caring that, that being in the
0: moment mm-hmm. so from from the thousands or tens of thousands that you've coached what is getting in the way of that what is
1: I don't know,
0: stopping them what are the what is the primary barriers that you're you're seeing that need to be overcome in order to best thrive in order to best perform and show up
1: um Fear, fear of the unknown, fear of, of failing, and, and sometimes fear of success, fear, fear of judgment. And um, recognizing that all of those fears are external. Um, and when that recognition happens, then we can talk about translating that fear into something that's empowering from thriving to love to, to whatever that individual says.
0: Mm-hmm. Where does fear show up in your life today?
1: Um, it doesn't live for very long. So when when it does show up, when it does show up, um, I recognize it really quickly and, and translate it translate it fast um the talk i, I gave um, in november in front of um a high school um, i showed up the day before walked the stage visualized it full of teenagers got there early to, to one with the place and 30 vietnam vets walked in i did not recognize i did not imagine that and i was um nervous imposter syndrome set in like who am I to talk to them to one breath being like no I've I've chosen to to stand up there and to the second breath being like I'm going to honor their stories too. to the third breath I got it like so um that's the the biggest most memorable um small smallest was coming on the podcast today um, you guys are, are amazing, and I've, I've listened to, to several of your episodes, and and know of um, um, several yeah. several people that, that several of your guests, and um, you know, like fighting the the Wi-Fi to get on. Like, no, I'm going to be on today. Yes, <laughs> so, we
0: appreciate you know. it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I like to talk about, because I know you're super passionate about it is the steel mace. Um, let's talk all things mace for those that aren't familiar with what that is. Give us the lowdown and what you've learned from the mace.
1: Um, so the mace is meant to move and you can slow, move fast. You can move slow and create tension. Um, the mace is the absolute most versatile piece of equipment uh, and like it allowed me to recreate uh, childlike wonder imagining I'm a freaking ninja blocking blows to to swing in a um, to swing it around and, and imagine imagining like pulling energy in and filling recharged after moving for five or ten minutes. Um, like the, the mace doesn't resonate with everyone and at first I was like what, is, what do you mean you don't like it? Ah! so like cool let's, let's find something else. And then when someone asks about the mace like seeing seeing them light up when they feel um, it pulled them one way and have to fight to balance in the other direction. Or unlocking a, a new move. know—that's uh, yeah, Those are things that are special and, and unique to the mace.
0: Mm-hmm. Another thing I know you're very passionate about that I like to talk about is the power of language. What is that?
1: So when I say abracadabra, what do you think of? It?
0: With my word, Can I create. Say- With my word, I create
1: a wizard, uh, magic. And um, the idea of with my word, I create is so powerful. With my word, I influence. Um, You know, when I was, I found my current role, the grad assistant and the program, because I was frustrated at school with something specific that happened. And I was like, I'm so like, Filling the blade, done and like I'm, I'm just like i'm so done and then i took a breath and the response was calm cool what are you going to start and so i was like okay what am i going to start and so language is is taking whatever words you're using taking the power of language is taking whatever word you're using whatever thoughts you have and changing it to create whatever it is you want and so no one wants to be angry pissed off no one wants to be done but then if you do accept that what do you want to start where do you want to go uh, yeah that's i can keep going on language brother
0: yeah so how have you how have you taught this to your players, to your tennis players, how have you empowered them with the power of language? Could you exemplify um, one such instance?
1: Um, One instance is like an athlete saying, I can't fill in the blank. Uh, Another is uh, a student, whether it's an athlete or PE kid, or, or anyone you're teaching, and you ask them a question and they say, I don't know. Um, in those two instances, I always followed up with, cool, what can you do? You know, I can't do this. What can you do? Mm-hmm. Um, someone out of frustration says, I don't know. Cool. What do you know? And that, that answer can be as open. It's it's meant to be open. And I know the sky is blue. I know we're on Zoom. It can be something incredibly obvious, but what it does is it switches them out of this, I can't or not knowing and starts looking, it it switches their brain to look for answers, look for solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, The other piece of this is is teaching architect and conflict language. So the, the three components to the conflict language are uh, negations, soft talk, and projections. And so, negation is can't, don't, won't, all the stuff you can't do. Uh, projections is blaming something outside of you for. It. She makes me mad. Um, and soft talk is adding the, the probabilities, mites, maybe's, you know, taking um, whatever you're trying to say and and softening it up. You know, we were scheduled for one. We weren't scheduled around one today. So mm-hmm. um, once that's pointed out to athletes, then the tools to translating uh, conflict language into something empowering, uh, you know, is there.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So many lessons and wisdom shared. Um, I know, yeah, Anka and I are very grateful. And um, I'm sure the parents... The students, the athletes, everyone that you are involved with in your, in your coaching benefit from this greatly. What have you learned about aligning goals, um, aligning the goals of the parent and the goal of the athlete, aligning the goals of the coach with the team, and aligning the goals of the university with their athletics? How can we get on the same page?
1: Um, I'll start with the universe. If, if the universe speaks, I I will listen. So, (laughs) um, other, other than, other than, than listening, um, I am not sure what influence I have on the universe. Um, but as far as, as athletes, coaches, and parents, um, us set the, the coaches aside first, what does an athlete want to get out of whatever sport they're playing? Usually it's to win. Usually it's to progress to another level. It's, it's something tangible. What parents could want from athletes is for them to uh, recognize the connection of hard work to success. Recognize uh, emotional control. Learn, learn skills that will apply um, in other areas of their life. The way to create alignment between athletes and parents is to have the conversation. You know, Mom, what do you want little Johnny to get out of this sport? And for the kid to hear that response. Um, yeah. um, the other piece is for athletes to share with their parents what they're working on with their coaches know trying to do you know learn a new skill or execute a certain play or um, be more physical in the defense whatever whatever it is they're working on with their their coach with their team once the parents are in the loop they'll also know what to look for during competition so it becomes so much more than just the result.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Heard Coaches should be proactive members in that conversation and so many times coaches look at a parent be like hey you're paying me to coach them drop your kid off go away and that one hour two hours a week there's a disconnect between what the coach is saying and everything else that's happening in that athlete's life and so and so communication between the coach the parent the athlete um, is huge. Um, one of the things that, that I do to, to facilitate that is the parents and the athletes are in a group text with me. And so at, at the end of some lessons, we'll I'll craft the text message with the kid that's going into that group. And so and so it's coming from me, yet the kid knows exactly what's being said. We covered this, this, and they, this, this, and this today. You know, for the next tournament, these are the things we're focusing on. Yeah. And and uh, I found that that's, that's made the conversations. One, it opens the door um, for parents to talk to their kids because when a parent asks a kid, hey, how'd it go? Oh, it went good. What'd you work on today? Uh, small, one-word answers. Where this text now allows the parent uh, to ask more informed questions about what happened.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's really powerful um, starting that conversation and clarifying what we want out of what we're doing out of the game that we're playing and then this brings me to my next question and that is what are you what are your intentions with this game that you're playing not the game of tennis not the game of coaching but the game of life and let's speak this to the universe
1: um. my intentions are to be around as many like-minded people as I can and to teach what I know and to hopefully have a a positive influence on the world so that some of those like cool and like-minded people come from um, some of what I've what I've taught
0: it's happening (laughs) it's happening I know (laughs) so through it all through all the highs and lows that is this wonderful game of life what would you say has been the number one life lesson that you've learned on the path thus far that you feel called in this moment to share with us and all those listening
1: in um to keep learning and to teach what you learn
0: To keep learning and to teach what you learn. Powerful. No. Can't go wrong with that. That brings us to the final two questions. Every episode went with these final two questions and this is that time. In three words, how would you describe the experience you were having on this earth? The three
1: words part makes this really hard.
0: <laughs> they don't have um, to go together. <laughs>
1: The uh, awe, uh, like searching for awe, creating awe, excitement. I would say awe and excitement. That's I'll
0: use two. my
1: third. I was going to use and, I was going to use and as one of my three.
0: Ah, excitement. Excitement.
1: Ah, excitement. And
0: fun. Beautiful. Ah, excitement and fun. What a ride. What a ride that you are on Um, that I can't wait to see what is next. What is next to come on this journey? We'll take a peer in the future. I'm gonna fast forward us. I'm gonna fast forward us many years from now and we're gonna be alongside an 85 year old Clint Lockoff. Who is that 85 year old Clint? Where are you? Who are you surrounded by? And what is the legacy that you have left here in your 85 years?
1: So uh, I'm planning on being over 150. So uh, I'll be in my midlife crisis. (laughs) I love that. <laughs> um, what's really exciting about that is I don't know because 30 year old me would not recognize 40 year old 20 year old me would not recognize 30 year old me um, I-, I thought about this question and I would recognize 20 year old me walking by but he wouldn't know who I was and so, eighty-five-year-old me—it's gonna be badass. But I'm not sure—not sure what that'll what that'll look like. And that's exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's okay. <laughs> but for but sure. I believe that you can feel into that eighty-five-year-old. So I want you to just close your eyes, connect with your breath for a few moments, and. Feel into that 85-year-old spirit, that 85-year-old's energy, that 85-year-old's awe, that 85-year-old's excitement, that 85-year-old's fun. And I'll bring us back. I'll bring us back to the current now. And that 85-year-old Clint, he sends you a message. What does he whisper in your ear?
1: Keep going. Keep going you're you're capable of so much more than you know
0: Uh uh-huh aren't we all (laughs) are we all wise words 85 year old (laughs) thank you for sharing that and thank you for showing up in this conversation it's been a real honor and pleasure catching back up hearing more of your story sharing your wisdom bianca Let's close with some last words from you, your reflections on this conversation.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I'm happy to reflect a little bit of what I've heard, because um, personally, I, I was teaching in schools, so there's parts where I can relate on how we connect with our students, and um, I just, I see how you're holding space for all the people that are learning from you, and this is so transformative and I feel very excited and grateful that there are coaches like that out there. So is spiritually aware and able to guide the energy for people to not only step into a higher embodiment of themselves, but also creating those connections between people and learning how to communicate with clarity and really creating the realities we want through our mindset all these lessons this is so powerful so already disembodiment is is incredible so I'm very happy to reflect that I'm very grateful that I got to listen to your wisdom today and that more people are going to be able to tune in with that and I can't wait to see what else unfolds uh 150 uh no doubt, 150 years old or more. Um, oh. There's some time for for beautiful shifts to happen, and the shifts are ongoing. And with this kind of mentality, we just allow it to flow effortlessly. So, thank you for sharing so much.
1: Thank you for thank you for having. Me. Yeah.
0: absolutely and for those wanting to connect with you you're on instagram at coach underscore clint underscore l or they can find your athletes first at athletes first underscore first one S T. is yeah. there anywhere else i could send them clint
1: no that's that's perfect um uh, you know one of the guys that just graduated from the team this year is is partnered with me and uh um, there's about to be a lot more content on athlete first. Um, like we're, um, we're on a mission. So. Mm-hmm.
0: To create the biggest impact possible. Biggest and it's impact. happening. Thank you, Derek. To close every conversation, we bring our fist in for digital fist bump, step into the winner's circle a choice. Boom. Thank Thanks. you so much, Clint. Thank you so much, Bianca. That is a wrap on today's beautiful conversation.
1: Thank you.